Wow, I can't believe we are at the one-year anniversary of the Friday the 13th fan film, Nine Lives, released Christmas Eve 2020. It's funny, because this movie has way too many holidays going on at one time, so Friday the 13th, uh, oddly enough, it doesn't really take place on Friday the 13th. We basically made it a Halloween movie because... We were having a Halloween party when we decided to start filming it, and there would be no explanation as to why everyone's dancing around in costumes unless it was Halloween, and we definitely needed that because when we got everybody together, we convinced a bunch of people to die in our movie. So we uh, figured, yeah, let's just make it a Halloween, and we'll just make it the classic you know, thing you... It's a very cliche, Friday the 31st, you know what I mean? But normally when people do something like that, they add Michael Myers in the movie. That wasn't really our intent, so we didn't do anything like that. But yeah, it took place on Halloween, so it kind of is, it works though, because it mixes everything that everybody likes. Uh, you get the fall atmosphere, and you get Jason, and you know, all that, and then we release it on Christmas Eve, and that was only because... I'm not really sure what the reason is, but that basically put a ton of pressure on me in terms of editing, which was probably the best thing because it's one of those things where if you don't keep at it, you'll probably just neglect it and all of a sudden three months go by and everyone's like, hey, so what's going on with that Friday the 13th movie we shot? Is that is that coming out? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, uh, yeah, I haven't really worked on it in the last you know couple weeks, but yeah, I'm gonna. So I think it would have been one of those kinds of things if I didn't give myself a deadline. So uh, Friday the 13th, Halloween, and Christmas are all <laughs> wrapped into one here. But it's a Halloween movie, technically. So if uh, you're going to add it to a yearly thing, which I, I don't know if anybody will do that, but you'd, you'd watch it in October, I suppose. So I'm going to try to fill in everything. I, I already recorded the video commentary. I realized as I was doing it and I had to talk about everything that's on screen that I, w I wasn't able to get to every single thing because I had to keep referencing what's on screen at the time. And if I got into a story or background information, I would miss a scene or whatever. So I'm going to try to fill in all those blanks uh, now. And I'm sure I'll still miss something. So this movie, the first day of shooting was October 24th, 2020. The last day of shooting was December 12th, 2020. And it was released 12 days later. Now, uh, a lot of you might be say, saying, how could you possibly edit all of that, including sound effects, the score of the movie, and everything like that, in 12 days? It's impossible for an hour-long movie. And yeah, it is. So what I basically did was, we would only be able to get together on certain weekends, you know, Steve and Jody and Annie lived two hours away from us. So, you know, I went up there to shoot the camp scenes. They came here to shoot the scenes in the house and the drive-in scene. They were with us at that time. So they had to make uh, quite a few trips over here during that time. I felt like I saw them all the time. Like we all were together a ton of times in that span from October 24th to December 12th. And while that was happening, you know, we'd shoot whatever we could on that weekend, and then I would spend the entire week or two editing it. So I was basically editing this movie since late October, pr 
probably mostly November is when I did the bulk of the editing, obviously. So I would just edit whatever we shot as it was happening. So by the time we shot the final stuff on December 12th, I had almost everything edited except for what we shot on December 12th. So then you could say, well, I took 12 days to sh- to edit everything basically that Alyssa was in because that's that bulk of her stuff was um, December 12th. So everything she was in, I edited that and scored that in 12 days. I basically try to say this in the commentary. I don't know if I did it quick enough or maybe I said it too quick so it's hard to uh, grasp. But So the reason this movie was ever shot was it was my fifth anniversary and it landed on Friday the 13th, which is the same day I was married. It was November 13th. It was coming up. So my wife wanted pictures of us in Blairstown taken by her friend who's a photographer. And she came up with the idea of, let's take these pictures, but can you get your cousin Steve to dress up as Jason? And he could be far off in the background in our pictures, and that would be cool. So, we asked Steve if he would do it. I told him I had a Jason mask already. He said yes. He went out and bought the pants and shirt that looked like part three and four. He showed up, and he looked more like Jason than I thought he would. And I was like, oh, huh. Wow, I didn't know you were going to get the the clothes and everything, so uh, I thought he was just going to wear something kind of generic. So, I kind of forget who. It might have been him who came up with the idea, well, while we're there, let's, like, videotape some stuff, like me walking around Blairstown as Jason. And then I might have said, yeah, we could even, like, have you kill us in the same spots like movie locations from part one. We'll film them the same way, the same angles, and then you kill us there. And then my idea was we could take those uh, clips and then post, there was a Jason sighting in Blairstown. Then we'd post him killing us. And what I said was, you know, to so we could do it multiple times and it's not ridiculous that it's always just us four people. How about we wear like masks, like Halloween masks? So that's the idea of why we had the witch head and the pumpkin head in the opening scene, the Halloween 3 masks. That was the idea so we can keep doing these Jason sightings. And then it was like, well, let's walk down this whole thing that Andy walked down in the masks, and then he can kill us under the tunnel, under the famous tunnel Andy walks under. So we did that. I guess we even bought blood to do this. I don't really remember (laughs) how it all happened, but yeah, there was blood, obviously, in that scene after Jason pops out and smashes the guy with the pumpkin head um, into the door and then there was blood on the floor and then he goes and kills uh, the witch head girl which was Jody and a lot of people and I blame myself I might not have shot that properly enough to get this across but I guess I was too caught up in the moment but when the girl in the witch face rounds the corner and then Jason grabs her head and and snaps her skull and then lets go and drops her What you're supposed to have gotten out of that was that that's where Crazy Ralph kind of leaped out and grabbed Annie's shoulder and said, You're going to Camp Blood, ain't you? You'll never come back again. So that's the exact spot he did that, where Jason was standing. But I think I didn't frame it right, so I don't think anybody really knows that. Jason, instead of Crazy Ralph coming around that corner, Jason does. And him even doing that was, um, I guess we took that from like part eight where Jason has telepathy or whatever you want to call it. Like, he just showed up there. Even though she ran away, 
he was around that corner. I don't know. Nobody seems to care. Nobody even asks anything about that. So that's good. That's kind of what you want. You don't want... And there's another thing later on in the movie. I, I do mention it in the commentary, though. And I knew I would repeat stuff, but, you know, whatever. I can, I can get more in-depth on certain things I'm going to repeat anyway here. So, uh, so there's another scene where he does that. I guess I'll just say it now. So after he kills Steve in the woods and Alyssa wakes up at, from the, the cat nap she was taking, Jason comes out of the closet in the room that Melissa was stabbed in the head with the knife in. Why would he walk out of that closet when he? the last thing we saw was him killing Steve in the woods, right? So things like that. But again, nobody asks, nobody cares. They just kind of get sucked into the movie, I guess, which is good. So... So let's get to the the name of this movie. So it's called Friday the 13th, Nine Lives. And the way we came up with this idea, and it really worked, it was meant to be. So me and my wife are in the kitchen, and and I'm saying to her, what what do we call this movie? I always wanted it to be Friday the 13th, Part 9, because there is no Friday the 13th, Part 9. You know, and people were arguing with me all over online when I released, like, the teaser trailer or whatever. And they saw that in the title, which was a big mistake. Because they just focus on that too much. And they're like, there already is a part nine. There's actually 12 of them, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no. No, there is not. Friday the 13th went up to part eight. And after that, New Line bought it. And they were standalone Jason movies. They are not part of that big long story from part one to part eight. Jason Goes to Hell is just Jason Goes to Hell. It doesn't take place after part eight. I mean, it might, but it doesn't necessarily. Jason X, yeah, they called it X, and that means 10 in Roman numerals, but it still doesn't mean it's Friday the 13th Part 10. It's their way of saying it's the 10th one. And it works because of the, I guess, the X, Jason X sounds good with the robot Jason or whatever you want. You know, so years ago, I wrote a script for Friday the 13th Part 9, which was the typical idea getting all the old cast members together who survived the original movies, and I wrote a really good treatment for this. I wrote it in all their voices, and everybody who, who read it said, wow, this is a, a really cool love letter to the franchise. So my big thing there was, how do we take Jason from Jason Takes Manhattan to anything else in the future? Well, in all my years, I guess you could say I'm a Friday the 13th expert, because I've been in in depth with this stuff since 2000. Four is when I got into the community stuff. I ran message boards. I, you know, I've done it all really, Friday the 13th wise. Um, met most of the people in all the movies, all the Jasons, stuff like that. And I know that people's favorite stuff is part one through four, when Jason was human. They like those other movies when Jason's a quote unquote zombie. But uh, that's just for fun. What people really like is when Jason was human. So I said, well, let's do that then. How could we do that? Pretty easy, really. So the nonsensical ending of Jason Takes Manhattan, Jason shrinks, washes away in the sewer with a toxic waste, and he washes away into a little boy. Basically, what I think they did was they washed him back to the 11-year-old boy that drowned in Camp Crystal Lake originally. So I wrote... The treatment, and in my treatment, he eventually wakes up in the sewer. He, you know, climbs out of the manhole or one of the manholes or something. Maybe goes to the, the drainage, and he gets to water, a body of water, and he basically 
climbs back onto a ship like a stowaway. And he, you know, hides on the ship and he, he lives in the steerage with the rats and he eats on them and feeds on them and feeds on the food they throw out from the guests of, of the ship, whatever ship he goes back on, that heads back to Camp Crystal Lake. As preposterous as that is, hey, they went to New York from Crystal Lake, so why not do the opposite? I, th- I think I even might have wrote it where he gets on the same one that Rennie and Sean get on from Part 8. <clears throat> he goes back there, and then he, he, is, he jumps out of one of the portals, and then he escapes, and he dashes off into the woods. And then for the next Friday the 13th Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan, if you look at the timeline stuff, it actually takes place in the year 2000, which still luckily makes sense because the Twin Towers were still around in the year 2000. So they were gone in 2001, so if it was anything, if it was like 2003, then obviously that there would be the big flaw in that, so... They're still up in 2000, so it still works. So he escapes in 2000, which I mentioned in this movie, when we're in the garage talking. And he he lives in the shack from part two. He goes back and lives in there for the next 20 years. And I wrote a bunch of scenes like him, like, grow. Like he basically grows back into an adult. So he's 11 years old, and 20 years later, he's 31. So now, in my movie... Jason's a 31-year-old regular human Jason again. So now you got everything you want. The part eight works. It gave you an out by making him human Jason again, and now you could make another movie continuing on 20 years after. Especially now that we already are in 2020, 2021, whatever. So it works. And I just thought it worked perfectly, so I said, well, I'll put it in this movie then. And that's when I give all that exposition in the garage where we basically explain that. So that's the part nine part. So the nine lives part, basically Alyssa became the final girl of the movie. And we already shot that, I guess. Or we knew she would be, something like that. I think we shot it already. Alyssa was a cat at our Halloween party. On her own, she, you know, she just dressed like that during the day that we all danced in that scene. And she was a cat. So <clears throat> when um, I asked her to be in the movie for real two months later, I think I was always asking her throughout the whole thing. And it finally came together. I finally got her to come over like two months later and do it. Not that she was saying no. We just never really nailed down a date. So she was always willing and, and ready to go. So, uh, And I knew the vision I had for the final girl and the final act of the movie. I wanted it to be her. I thought she'd be perfect for it. So um, she's dressed as a cat. <clears throat> and uh, another inside tip. She said, Do you want, so you want me to dress up exactly how I was at your house in October during your Halloween party? I said, yeah. I, she says, you want me to paint my nose black and put the whiskers on my face too? And I went, no. Don't do that part. I said, everything else besides that. Because I didn't think that would work. So when you see her dancing in the movie, you'll notice there's a black nose and whiskers on her face. And then it's not on any other scene of the movie. And that's because I asked it to not be there because I thought it would be a little too goofy for the final final act. I, th- I just didn't think it would... It's not what I imagined, I guess. And I don't think anybody would ever notice that. And I don't think they did. Uh, so she's a cat. And so we said, well, let's make a... S- is there anything we could do with, with, like, a cat? And then I think my wife made a joke like, how about Jason gets pussy? <laughs> you know, something like that. So then, you know, we laughed, and then I think we realized that 
nine people get killed in this movie as well. And then I remembered, well, I made it Friday the 13th Part 9 also. So then it just occurred to me, I just said, nine lives. And then we just both looked at each other and we knew that we picked the, the name. So it was the whole conversation. I'm sure more things were said, you know, besides Jason gets pussy. I think we, you know, said other cat puns or whatever. And then nine lives. And then I said, you know what? You know why else this works? Because everybody thought that Friday 13th part nine would never happen. So now you read the word lives the other way. It's nine lives, just like Jason lives. It's not Jason lives. You read it the other way and it's like part nine lives again. It, it lives. Well, not again, but it lives. You thought it was dead, but here it is, part nine. So that's how we knew it was perfect. Then we realized that when um, we got Vicky from part two to do her scene, Lauren Reed Taylor, we noticed there was a cat on her couch. So it's cool. Like, even in that, we didn't ask her to do that. There was a cat. So it was like, wow, this is really coming together in a weird way. So that was that. We knew we had the name of the movie. So I guess... Those are most of the overalls. The only other overall thing I could say before we get to the particulars of the movie is, so for the score, I obviously wanted to do, you know, Harry Manfredini. And I knew in doing that and doing other music that's from other artists, I knew that YouTube would flag me and that I wouldn't be able to make money from this movie. Now, obviously, I could have made a lot of money. It has 850,000 views, probably 860 by now. But um, it wouldn't have been good. It wouldn't have been the movie it was without those that musical score in it. If I just put nothing or generic music or whatever I found or whatever, it just wouldn't have been what it was. The music that I chose for each scene marries what's on screen so well that most people don't even think about the music. It, it's actually as if it's as meant to be as any of the Friday music in any movie. And I'm not saying I'm some genius for doing that. What that is, is time. I would edit a scene, play it a few times so I thought all the timing was right. Then I'd say, okay, it's time to score it. And I mostly went through part three and four, I believe, for the score. There's five in there, there's six in there, there's eight at the very end when I say, take your best shot, motherfucker. Of course, I had to drop part eight music in there. But it's mostly three and four. I wanted the movie to have that feel because that's how Steve was dressed. What I would do is I'd pick the scene, then I would drop, I would insert music from those movies. I would insert every track till I finally found one that I thought was perfect for it. Sometimes if I did a scene that was kind of an homage to a real Friday scene, I would use the music in that scene and put it there so that it's exactly the same tone, which I did twice from part two. When Jason's in the man cave looking for Alyssa and she's hiding under the bar, I played the same music of when Ginny was hiding under the bed and Jason part two was looking for her in there. And then the scene where Ginny was running in the woods and they cut to those two moon shots to show the passage of time when we had Steve running in the woods from Jason and we cut to the two moon shots to show the passage of time. It's a, the exact same music and the moon shots drop on the exact same cue as the music in part two. So I did stuff like that. But if you're wondering how everything was so fitting with the music it's not like I, like I said I'm not a genius I'm just willing to spend 40 minutes till I find the right piece of music and that's that so I think that was definitely mission accomplished 
I'm totally happy with the score of this movie. And the fact that it's good music to begin with, and it fits Jason to begin with, already makes it work. So now, all I gotta do is pick the exact right music out of what's already perfect. So that's not that hard to do, but yes, you can get that wrong. Especially if you're rushing. So I think that's um, all you need for overalls. Now we can get to some particulars of the movie. I don't want to make the show too long. I'm sure it'll be like an hour. But uh, hopefully you, you care about the movie enough that it's worth an hour of learning about. So the cast in this movie, oh, one horrible thing I did. So Alyssa's name is in the opening credits of the movie. But I actually forgot to add her to the end credits. She was in the original end credits, but I forgot Jerry in there. So when I redid it, because I didn't save the editable file, I had to redo everything in the end credits. When I redid everything, I forgot Alyssa's name. And then by that time, by the time I noticed it, the movie was already out. So there was there was really no going back. She was okay with it, and she's in the opening credits, so she's not that upset. <laughs> but, you know, she definitely was like, oh, man, I'm not even in the credits. So that's one of my, my most regrettable things. So I'm sitting right here right now with the original Jason mask that was used in the movie right in front of me. I washed all the blood off of it from the movie. Um, I kept it on for a while. I was thinking I would leave it like that forever. Like, however it ended in the movie, I would just leave it. But then I was like, nah, it kind of looks crappy that way. It works in the movie. That last scene when I bring the camera right up to Jason's face, it works there. But just having it like that all the time, it doesn't. It's still the original mask, and now it looks like it did in the beginning of the movie, so what's the difference? So the opening scene uh, was, uh, I wanted it to, to just kick the movie off and kind of high gear. People click this because they want to see Jason, right? So that's what they want to see. That's what they see almost as soon as they press play. So they're already satisfied. They're like, okay, I see what he looks like. Okay, I dig it. He looks like part three and four. And it's funny because the mask, the Jason mask, I had custom made. And the guy who made it, um, he's in the end credits too. So you could see his name and you could look him up on Facebook and if you want to get your own Jason mask. But what I asked him to do was I want it to be a mixture of part three and four because I thought part four was too plain. And part three didn't have the axe cut in it yet. Because I guess when people make part three masks, masks they don't think they don't add that cut. They do it based on the bulk of the movie. And then when they do a part four mask, they add the cut. So I wanted a mixture of both, and I wanted all the red uh, marks on the mask. In part four, most of those red marks are missing. And I thought, again, it looks too plain and boring. So I wanted a mixture of both things. So that's what it is. So it works out. I'm glad the one I customize is the one we use for the movie, because I have the mask of every movie. So that's supposed to be like a comical thing, Jason walking out the way he does, and then the shots from the front of him, from the back of him, from this, that. It's supposed to be like funny, It's and the music is over the top. It's supposed to be like fun. You're supposed to know that you're going to have fun with this movie. So the opening shot in Blairstown, um, I put that in the opening of the movie because it worked out. As we developed the story and we came up with ideas, we said, well, let's make believe those kills that we shot in Blairstown, make, let's make believe those hit the newspapers. And then it kickstarts a whole thing about, you know, Jody's brother, who we talked about earlier. When we filmed the cemetery scene, there was a, a ton of dialogue in that scene. But that was all cut in the movie. Because the things we, the particulars we said, don't fit what we decided to do later on. It just didn't make sense anymore. So I cut all the dialogue for that. Uh, which is regrettable because the the first like words you hear are Lauren Marie Taylor in six minutes and fifty seconds. 
So it's a very silent opening movie. You do hear Jody go, what the fuck, when Jason kills the guy in the pumpkin head right in the beginning. I guess that's some dialogue or whatever, but other than that, yeah, you don't hear anything. And it's because the Blairstown Diner scene we shot, I had to shoot that in one minute. Basically, all you see us sitting there eating and Jason in the window is all we shot. It's all we really had time for. They were nice enough to let it. We said, listen, can we just shoot something really quick in here before we sit down and eat? And they're like, uh, yeah, I guess. So they let us shoot that while people were in there eating. So that was very nice of them. And I didn't want to push it. I said, all we need to do is have you guys eating and have Jason come over by the window and look in on you, which is funny. It's just funny to have Jason at the Blairstown Diner. I mean, we couldn't kill people in there or whatever. So we didn't, we didn't, uh, and we didn't even know we were filming a movie at that time either. That was still the day that we were just shooting Jason sightings in Blairstown. So that was just a sighting in Blairstown. We're just going to show, hey, look, Jason was at the diner that Steve Christie was killed. That's all. That's all that was. So there really was no real dialogue there anyway. But when we went to the cemetery, we said, well, what are we coming here for? So we said, well, let's make believe we're visiting someone's dead brother or something that Jason killed. And then that dialogue, that idea worked for the movie, but the dialogue didn't. So that was all cut from the movie. But I love that shot we got, the -the over-the-shoulder shot of Jason looking at us in the cemetery and playing the Part 3 music. It reminds me of Jason at the barn in Part 3. So all the stuff about Jody's brother, we expanded upon and we used it anyway during the Jason Part 2 flashback scene. And I guess it's kind of cool that the first things you hear is Lauren Marie Taylor in the movie. You know, it's her scene. So basically what that was is I shot the Part 2 Jason stuff and I said, hey, check it out. We're, we're shooting a movie and um, we put your Jason in it. I just sent it to her on Instagram, just like a shot in the dark to see if she would even look at it. I didn't know her or anything like that at the time. And she saw it, and I'm sure I screen-capped her response somewhere. I wish I had it now to read it to you. But it was something like, oh, wow, that's so cool. I wish I could be in your movie. Like, I wish I could participate in your movie. And I said, well, when opportunity knocks, you better answer. So I I said, well, I I could make this work. So I said, well, um, yeah, if we really want to, uh, if you have a phone that that records in 4K, then, um, yeah. I could write you a little scene, and you could shoot a, a minute and a half scene or whatever, and then we'll just insert it into the movie, and bam, you're in the movie. I'll make it work. I'll write something that works. And she goes, yeah, okay. Yeah, sure, I have that. I was like, okay. This whole movie is shot on a phone anyway. That's the other thing that uh, I guess is worth talking about. So this whole movie is zero budget. It was shot on my cell phone. It's not even a good cell phone. It's not like the iPhone 13 or anything, or whatever was around then, 12 or whatever. It was an iPhone SE. It came out in 2020, like March of 2020, but it's not one of the better ones. It's the low-end phone. It has one camera, not like the three cameras or the four, whatever people have now in the back. It's a crappy phone, but it had 4K. So when we shot those Jason sightings in Blairstown, I put it in 4K. So that's why our movie's in 4K. And that's why it doesn't sound that amazing, because <laughs> I just bought one of those microphones that you plug into the bottom of it, and, uh, you know, not it's not good or anything, but I th- thought it might be better than what was on the phone, so that's what we used. So I basically shot a quick example of the scene that I wrote for Lauren Marie Taylor, and then she sent me two versions, and then we talked on the phone on FaceTime. We talked, me, her, uh, and my wife, for like over an hour around Christmas. Like around uh, December 20th or so. So one year ago today, I think. 
And basically what I wrote is I still wanted her to be the Vicky character. Of course, you know, she was stabbed by Jason. Then Jason drags her down the stairs and you see her feet plunking on each step. Well, I figured, well, maybe she's still alive, though. Maybe he drug her to the the shack and she's just sitting there like... (gasps) And then she survived. So I wanted the real Vicky in my movie. So I had her say, you didn't kill me in that the lodge and you're not going to kill me. You're not going to find me now. As if, you know, he was looking for her or something because she saw that he killed those kids in the newspaper. So that's all that was. There was no more intent there. It was just to have Vicky in my movie, and that's it. Mission accomplished. Uh, right after that, you get to Annie's first dream, and that just came out so nice. Jason on that deer stand. I forgot what we even had to do to convince Steve to go up there, but it was really scary. He did not want to be up there. It was not sturdy. We all knew that. We all knew he was... <laughs> He was putting himself at risk to get this shot, but I think we all knew the value of the shot and how interesting and different it would be, and you'll never see that again, ever. And it's just so wild. And it's definitely dreamlike. Um, People even said, thank God I found out later it was a dream because that was just so weird. But now that it's a dream, it works. But it's visually a, a stunning scene, really. I knew that I had to shoot him from up there and then pan down so you saw exactly how high he was. Just a very cool moment. But I get more into that in the video commentary, so I won't go any further in that whole thing. So basically, the dreams of Annie were created out of necessity. Number one, she was a big Nightmare on Elm Street fan. She said she looks like if Robert England had a kid, it would look like her. And so those two things got me thinking. And then the necessity was, well, we have to have a good amount of Jason scenes while having the obstacle of the lack of a cast. So we only have a few central core cast members here. How do we get more Jason out of just those people? Well, then one of them keeps having reoccurring dreams about Jason. And there you go. Now you have two or three more things of Jason. And that will definitely give your movie a good pacing. Pacing was a big thing in editing. I wanted to make sure, you know, the same old thing you always hear. You you know, you should have a kill every seven minutes or whatever. So I... I didn't do that, but I definitely wanted Jason to be peppered throughout the movie. There shouldn't be any part of the movie that you say is boring or has downtime. Nothing should have downtime. If you really take a a stopwatch or something, I didn't do it. You should have a Jason scene every, like, I think every seven minutes. It's only an hour-long movie. So I think you you have one every five minutes. I'm not even sure, but definitely, um, I guess you could say the only downtime, if any, would be our trip to Camp Crystal Lake, but I really wanted to slow the movie down there in the sense that I wanted the movie to breathe. I wanted you to see us traveling to the camp. I wanted it to look like it was sort of a long trip, and I wanted to have the nice motorcycle shots, driving there, and the nice fall weather. Most of the that was establishing the uh, atmosphere. I wanted you to see Steve and Jody driving. Uh, we shot the the thing of Steve driving on Kevin Bacon's road in the first movie when they were driving to Camp Crystal Lake. So we had a perfect shot of the black truck driving on that road. Be- perfect framing. Steve shot that. I was driving. Perfect framing by Steve. I wanted the leaves blowing around. And when him and Jody are driving, then you just see from their windshield and they're driving. I shot that one day coming home from work because the the trees just looked beautiful and the sky was blue and everything looked so nice that I wanted all that in there. You might, or someone might see it as slow, 
But those are the things that you should. Those are the moments you should be taking in, and thinking how nice the whole atmosphere is, and how cool it would be to be there, and and how nice it is to relive it whenever you watch it. Because we all love that time of year. So that's the thing you should be taking in, not thinking it's boring because Jason's not killing somebody at that moment. <laughs> I mean, I think we have enough of that in this movie, right? So the Jason 2 flashback scene was camp humor, not camp as in Camp Crystal Lake, but you know, campy, campy humor, like Batman 66 TV show. Uh, you know, him chopping and the hand, I had a hand, an arm that I put on the shrine of Mrs. Voorhees in my house. I used it for the movie. So I had him cut, well, that was me playing Jody's brother in the flashback. So he cuts my arm and it falls down and that's funny. And then um, I run around classic dumb 80s style with just my arm tucked into my shirt and then you see the the arm uh the the sleeve flapping around there's not even any blood coming in, out of it you know like i said we had zero budget this was not a funded movie it was friends and a cell phone that's it nothing and the only money spent in this movie was me getting the macbook pro so i could edit the movie and that's it I guess you could say we bought blood or we bought a rubber mask for Steve to wear or things like that, but I wouldn't say that's a budget. I mean, I don't even know if all that added up to $1,000. But despite my arm flopping around, we, we all played it straight. We didn't play it as if we were joking. We played it like it was real. The humor wasn't to make you laugh out loud. The humor was to make you smirk at it, and that's it. We that That's the level of humor we were going for, smirk, not laugh. <laughs> but if you laugh, there are some parts that are definitely, you know, you could laugh, and people have laughed at them. And that's great. If, if, if they're that funny, too, great. But we were hoping for at least mostly smirks. So one thing I'll say about this movie and me as a director, I never gave Steve any direction on how to play Jason. Nothing. I never said a word. In my opinion, he would know how to play Jason just as much as I would. I don't think either one of us knew any more than the other one of how to play Jason. I mean, we're both at that level. I think we both were, like, exactly on par as what should or needed to be done and what presentation Jason should have. So, in my opinion, I had nothing to say to him. So, all I ever told Steve was, okay, so this is what you're doing in this scene. You're going to go here, go through here, you're going to kick the door open or whatever it is. I'm going to stand here, so know that I'm filming from this angle or whatever. And that's it. I never said a word about how he should play Jason. Nothing. So that's all him, and that's how we did it. His best acting was probably in the man cave before we went to Crystal Lake. That whole moment where me and him had to have that conversation like, Oh, Jason's not real. Didn't you, dude, didn't you read the newspapers? Those two kids killed under the tunnel. Who do you think it was, you know? Like, all that stuff, that had to be said because that had to set up a couple things, too. Like, that was just, we, we had to have some dialogue. Here's a, here's the thing about this movie. When you have no budget, no real actors, no scripts, and you're kind of making it up as you go along, which is exactly what we were doing. Uh, you know, there were definitely times when I knew we were going to do something, so I went ahead, hurry up, and wrote a script. And then we tried to memorize it basically try to get get across my points of the script so that whole scene me and him in the man cave we just all we both made that up as we went along like we would sit there and go well what do you want to say next i don't know let's talk about the kids under the tunnel and like if i, I don't think it's real but you do and blah 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 
And we just said, okay. And that's what we did. And that's how we shot it. I, I actually cut like two minutes out of that. I basically cut it to the point where only the important stuff is said and then the rest isn't. But that was probably some of his best acting in that moment. He he really did good just like coming out of nowhere and just going off. And my wife thinks I did good too. Me and Steve did used to do a lot of skits together back in like 2002, 2006 we did skits. So we we were used to each other that way. We were able to bounce off each other pretty easily. It was never a struggle. We were kind of natural with each other with anything we did like that. So that came pretty easy to us to be natural and make it seem like a real conversation. But in a low-budget movie like this, when you don't have real actors or a script, basically what I noticed was, like in that movie Friday the 13th, Roseblood, that I reviewed a couple episodes ago, what that movie has is the opposite of what ours has. It has tons of dialogue. Tons. But you could tell those actors studied these things at home. You could tell they were getting paid to do this. You could tell all those things, and they rehearsed it over and over and over again. And they didn't have to read the script when they got there that day. They shot the whole movie in eight days. We didn't have that kind of thing going. You know, we weren't committed like that. This was just a fun movie. I wasn't going to send these guys scripts and then, I mean, the one time I sent them their scripts ahead of time, but I'm not sure that they sat there and like, like, I don't think Jody sat there and read it over and over and over again in her car and every day and then kept rehearsing it in a mirror or anything. Like, I don't think any of us did anything like that. You know, she, she saw it or Steve saw it and they're like, okay, yeah. So I, we got the idea of what we'll do when we come over Friday and that's it. It wasn't like that. So what you're missing from this movie is tons of dialogue and tons of that kind of stuff. But I think I tried to make up for it visually and um, pace-wise. And like just the way it was shot and, and the love that we had for it, I hoped would persevere through the lack of dialogue and lack, lack of script, basically. We basically, anything I ever wrote for this movie was just to get to the next scene. There wasn't much more to it because it wasn't supposed to be a serious thing. Even when we said, even when we decided we were making this movie for real. So we shot all those things in Blairstown, you know, the Jason sightings. And then all of a sudden we started filming the kills at the Halloween party. We had a real Halloween party and that's what that dancing scene was. And basically we said, well, let's see if like people at the party are willing to like have Jason kill them and we'll videotape it and we'll, we'll just add it to our thing. And then when we had um, three or four people agree to get killed by Jason, that's when we said, so, like, are we making, like, a real movie here? Like, is this going to be, like... And then we said, well, no, let's make it, like, the Ghost of Michael Myers, like, a ten-minute movie, like, last time that we did in, t- in 2001. So it went from Jason sightings to a ten-minute movie to an hour-long movie, just organically. We just had so many things we thought of shooting that it just kept getting longer and longer and longer. And then as we shot those things, we said, well, we have to explain those things. So we shot this and this and that. So then it got longer and longer and longer. That's what this movie was. This was not thought out in any way, shape, or form at all. Like, it's funny. The whole movie was was made up on the fly, and no one had a problem with that at all. Nobody. I gave them the lines the day of whatever scene we were shooting for the most part. They memorized it the best they could, and they said it. Nobody said, oh, wow, well, why are we... Why are we doing this now? Or should we... I don't know if this... Like, nobody... It was just like... Oh, okay. Is that what we're doing? So now we're at the Camp Crystal Lake 
scene, and I'll say the only the only extra effort I didn't make making this movie for those two and a half months, or not even, was going the extra mile to drive... Okay, so we're at the camp, and, you know, we're at the water, and as we look at the water, I cut to a different lake, and I, I show that as if that's the lake that we're standing in front of during our camp scenes, because that looks more like part one. I found that lake while I was working one day, and I said, wow, this would be great for a movie. So I went back one day, and I shot all those scenes. They look beautiful. They're all really nice. I did a good job. I thought, yeah, I framed it really well. These are great. But what I didn't realize is what didn't match was the sky. It was a cloudy day when I shot that stuff. And when we were in Camp Crystal Lake, it was a clear, perfect blue day. So they didn't match. And there was one day that I knew... It was a perfectly clear day, and I should go back to that lake and reshoot that stuff. But I think I just said, ugh, I'm just exhausted already. I was, like, editing for hours a day, every day, and shooting stuff all the time to fill in so many gaps. I just didn't have it in me to do that one extra thing. So that's the only thing I would say I did not go the extra mile for in this movie. But I was pretty happy with the Camp Crystal Lake stuff. Whenever it was the four of us walking around, Tiffany is the one who filmed all that stuff. You'll notice a lot of it was filmed on a tripod when the four of us were inside the cabin. And that's because Tiffany wasn't there at that time. So all of that was filmed on a tripod. I tried to add special effects afterwards, like zoom-ins and zoom-outs and cropping certain cuts here and certain cut like I would even though it was only on one scene and it held on one shot I would split the scene and I would zoom in on one section for some of it and then zoom in on another section for other parts so it looks like there are more cuts and more angles and things like that but really the camera never moved so that was my trick of editing to make you feel like like this is not being filmed on a tripod but yeah most of it is And my one regret in editing where I really messed up was when we all walk in and what you see is Mrs. Voorhees' head in the foreground and we're all in the background walking in. I don't know how I didn't think of it at the time, but I should have zoomed in at the door when we all walked in and slowly zoomed out to the reveal of Mrs. Voorhees' head on that table. That's my probably biggest regret. I'm sure I can go back and and even take the full movie file and cut it right there, split it right there, and then have that zoom in happen, and then re-render re, uh, it or whatever. But, you know, this one's already on YouTube. It's close to a million hits. I don't think anybody really cares. But for me, that's my regret with that. I can't believe I didn't think to do that. There were some difficult-to-accomplish shots in that whole thing, but I'll get into that in the video commentary coming out on Friday. So the dialogue in the garage, like I said, was my attempt to tie this movie into Part 8. Then you got the cigar scene when I'm on the chair, drinking out of my flask and smoking a cigar, which is another tie-in to that Roseblood movie. That guy smokes a cigar in there. So me and him did a lot of similar things in both our movies. And I fall asleep. And the reason I filmed myself falling asleep and then dreaming of Annie getting chased by Jason where he kicks the door in and you know goes after her in the closet that's just because we were supposed to have filmed Annie falling asleep in the truck during the drive-in movie theater scene but we just totally forgot to do it that was a very strange day 
a lot of things went wrong during the drive-in. Um, so, uh, before we get to that, though, so that's why. So, I'm in this movie so much because basically I had to pad out a lot of things that I was able to do while Steve and Jody and Annie were not around. I just said, well, we need this, this, and that. We got to get here. We got to explain this. And I could do it. I don't have to bother anybody or, or drag them back over here or whatever. And it, it would seem natural. So I'll just be in it a lot more. But I, I had no intention on being the star of this movie or having any more screen time than anybody else. I, I just wanted to be just like everyone else. Um, I don't necessarily even want to be the one directing this movie or the one editing this movie. I don't want those responsibilities. I would rather have just been in the movie. That's what I just want to do. I just want to be a part of something like this. I'm not claiming like the Kurt Cobain syndrome where, you know, the like reluctant, you know, leader of the band or anything like that. And he just wanted to be the drummer, you know, not he didn't want to be the face of the band. Like, I'm not saying all that, but I think I, I basically I noticed in my life I'm more or less put in these positions by happenstance. I might be the person most enthusiastic about certain aspects of certain things not this does not pertain to this particular group i'm talking about most things in my life where it's like well this person don't want to do and this one's not going to do and this one don't know how to do it so so why don't you do it that happens to me all the time um i don't know why but it's not necessarily something i want that's why when i was on banana laser i loved it so much because i didn't have to deal with anything all I had to do was come on and review movies or talk about horror topics, make fun of movies and video commentaries, and get off. I didn't have to think about it ever again till Matt got it all done and we heard it or watched it. That's what I really like to do. Most every reason I am anywhere I am in life is more, it's circumstance. It's just how it is. I edited audio podcast for eight years or whatever it's been 10 years so well I guess I'll try to edit a movie I never did that but this is my first crack at it I mean I guess you could say I edited the ghost of Michael Myers but that was just you know two VHS and a tape two tape decks and pressing pause and pressing record and play and this and that I, mean, I wouldn't I don't know if that's really called editing but yeah this is the only movie I ever edited but I don't know it just seemed like I was the one that had to do it. I don't really know why it it kind of turns out like that. So yeah, I had to fill in a lot of things and, and be a lot more prominent in the movie than I really even wanted to. Even towards the end, when I had to come back, come back to life essentially. Because in that final showdown with her and Jason before the shed scene, he throws her down on a couch and chokes her out. We wanted to do that. And it seemed natural. It seemed like she should escape out of the man cave, walk around the house. Jason hears her and goes through another door and pulls her in and does the Texas Chainsaw thing where he pulls her into the door like Texas Chainsaw. And then we have a huge couch in the garage. So let's clear the couch and throw her down on the couch. And then, I don't know, choke her, I guess, right? So, well, are we ending the movie here? And is she dying? So we can't have that. Well, what what to do then? Well, somebody has to save Alyssa, and everybody else is dead. But wait a minute, I'm not surely dead. Because when I got my head smashed and I, I seemed to pass out, 
I was not, I was still awake when Steve comes around and talks to me again later on, and then he gets chased by Jason. Jason doesn't come over to me and stop my head and then go after Steve. So I'm still just laying there. So I said, how about I just show up, do one last thing, I save Alyssa's life, I guess? Hit him with that log, and then, now Jason surely kills me? You know, like... It's just that kind of thing where I filled in a lot of gaps here. And that is kind of my role on screen in this movie. So we get to the drive-in scene. Basically, we already had tickets to go to a drive-in movie theater. We thought that'd be fun. And then, by the time that is upon us, we are filming this movie. So we said, well, let's uh, shoot something. It's all of us going again. It's the whole cast going. So we said, well, let's shoot, uh, let's shoot a, a scene in there. So... One thing that happened, uh, in the rush to get out there, I guess we were rushing to grab things and leave. We brought most stuff, I guess, but forgot to grab the, uh, Jason outfit. The shirt and pants. So, we didn't realize that till we were about to shoot some stuff. So, I forgot what we even planned to have Jason do in this drive-in. Maybe walk around in the broad daylight, I'm not sure. Maybe walk around in the night only, I'm not sure. But all I know is we eventually had to improvise, and during the snack bar scene, when uh, we filmed Annie walking online to get snacks and stuff, it turned into shooting POV shots of Jason walking to the snack bar and getting to the doorway to look at Annie inside there, and uh, then she leaves at that moment. And uh, so that's why we shot Jason point of view shots there. And then when Annie leaves the snack bar, Jason's now on the other side of the building where she just left. Again, teleportation, I guess. And when she walks past him, all you see is his mask. Because we had it all, all we had is the rubber mask and the Jason mask. So Steve put that on, and I just filmed him close up. Uh, So you see him particularly looking at her, which I guess it worked enough. And then where it really kind of paid off was when we filmed the, sh- the scene of him s- watching the movie on the drive-in screen. It was really beautiful framing. Back of his head, you see the mask, and you watch the movie, and it's at a great part of the movie. And it's very reminiscent of Jason Takes Manhattan when he's looking at that billboard with the hockey mask. And that's one of my favorite shots in that movie. And one of my favorite shots in our movie, especially the way it ends, like with the creeper in the window from Creepshow, and then it ends like that. Then all of a sudden you see Annie walking, and you see the the lights in the background, which you're supposed to think are headlights of cars watching the movie, and then Jason comes up and and gouges her eyes out. Yeah, it it, it worked. By the time we filmed him doing that, that was in a, a totally different day. That was the same day we shot the Camp Crystal Lake scenes. So we had, we, it was nighttime by the time we were done with whatever we were doing or whatever, or after we ate or something. We had him film that stuff just in plain old woods. But the way I cut it in the movie, you think that she's walking around the, the drive-in. So forgetting the costume really didn't hurt anything. Most of this movie is done because you had to work around stuff. So Jody's death was a pretty ballsy one um, in terms that uh, we kill a main character right after, you know, you, we killed the final girl, that, or so you thought. We built it up so that Annie would be the final girl. We wanted you to think she's having all these dreams about Jason. She's the younger one in the family, and she's going to have like a Tommy Jarvis moment or something. That's what you were supposed to think. 
And when I killed her, I wanted to do that because I already had Alyssa in mind for the final girl, so I thought it would be great would be, let's build her up as the final girl, then we'll give you, like, that psycho switch where you think Janet Lee is going to be the final girl of this movie and there's going to be some big ending with her, but instead Norman kills her off in, you know, 30 minutes or whatever it was. Like, same thing happened in our movie. I think she was killed off at the halfway point. So now you're like, well, where is this movie going? Well, who the hell's the final girl or whatever? Like, we wanted to, like, kind of do things that made no sense. Like, even... Normally, you build up the final girl from the beginning, and you have this huge investment in Alyssa. If she's going to be the final girl, how's she going to be the final girl? She just showed up. Well, because that happens. In real life, things don't always work out to formula. And it is what it is. And Alyssa was able to kind of... She had so much presence on screen that you do care when she's getting chased around. You you are invested. It's not like one of those things, well, I don't even care if he gets her. What are we watching here? That never has occurred to anybody. Everybody always liked Alyssa's entire segment, that whole act, that third act. People were totally down with that. And it's because of her screen presence and what she brought to the role and just those few moments she was on it and most of the investment you have in her is while she's getting chased and how she emotes and acts and reacts to everything there it's very true to life and that's the investment in itself and she's not that hard to look at either but Jody's death was pretty ballsy killing her right in front of everyone at the Halloween party and that's the camp humor like how the hell does nobody know this girl just got her head smashed on a banister and throw down the stairs Halloween Kills stole that whole thing from me when they did it to uh, that chick at the end of Halloween Kill. I forgot her name even, but uh, when they did it to her, yeah, we did that first. So when we filmed that and he smashes her head, Jody actually, when she falls down, she goes down those stairs at that angle of me filming, which I never got her going down the stairs. And I had no idea she was going to do that. She just did it. It was like an improv thing. And we're like, ooh, Jody are you okay? And she's like, yeah. I was like, I didn't film that. And she's like, oh, I'll do it again. I was like, uh, and I'm looking around like, should we even ask her to do this again? And it was like, are you sure? She goes, yeah, that's, it's no problem. So I stand at another angle and I said, okay, there's a good angle to have you sailing down the stairs. Yeah, let's, let's do it again. So we do that, but we're, we pretend the music's so loud and everyone's having such a great time at this party that no one notices a six foot four guy or six foot to whatever Steve is, six foot two guy smashing a girl's head and her flying down the stairs. Then he stands there behind us while we're all talking about what we're going to do next. Shoot pool or play arcades. Just amazing. But that's part of the fun. Jody was really great in this whole movie. She was a real sport, totally invested. She was down for anything. When she did that um, flashback scene and I had her do the overlay, like her talking over all the scenes we were shooting, she came into this, this right where I am right now to do the podcast. We got to the microphone. That's why she sounds so perfect in that part because it's so much nicer than the microphone that we used to shoot the movie. So her voice is crisp and clear and that's what she really sounds like. She read this whole entire script I wrote out for the flashback scene. Um, I wanted it to 
first, we were just going to have her say all those things while we were all sitting around that fire. Uh, in the beginning of the movie, she just said all those things out loud. And I kept feeding her the lines, and I was going to cut it in ways where it would seem natural, but it was just a disaster. And it was a nightmare of a time. Like, those 30 minutes of filming that thing, all of us sitting around that fire, that was really not fun for anybody. It was one of those movie processes that aren't fun, but we were all hoping it's going to pay off in the end. And in reality, it was a total waste of time because I scrapped it. It was just so bad. You could barely hear her. It just didn't seem natural. I couldn't edit it in any way that was like comprehensive. So I said, screw it. We're just going to start filming things you're talking about as it's happening instead. And then we're going to play those and we're going to have your voice overlay it instead. That's way easier. Then we'll cut little things here and there of us sitting around the fire. Fine. But your voice won't even match what your mouth's doing, but who cares? Um, People will be more interested in the little clips we're playing anyway. And then after we're done with that flashback scene, I said, well, you know, we had Jason chasing her brother and stuff, but you know what? Let's, Let's give them what they really want. Once she's done talking about it, let's show them what really happened that day. So when she's done talking about the flashback, we just show it, the whole thing. And that's what that whole thing was with my arm getting cut off and everything. Then it goes to my reaction of this story. Very different way of telling a story. This movie is not how people normally tell stories in a bad way. But I think it worked anyway. It's different. So then you get to me playing NBA hang time. A lot of people think I'm playing NBA jam because that's what the arcade says. But that arcade came with three games and NBA hang time was the... Newest of the three, I think it came out in 1996, while NBA Jams came out in like 93 or 94, something like that. So this was a much better game than NBA Jam. Hang Time is far superior. So that's what I was playing, and I was able to make myself that wolf character. So I was able to drop in the Lon Chaney Jr. reference, and um, I was able to play as my favorite player in basketball, Scottie Pippen, who, of course, now is like the uh, center of all the controversy. Just You could just type in Scottie Pippen, um, just type that in. There's a lot going on with him right now, and with Michael Jordan and all this stuff, and this book he wrote, and all this, one year later after this movie. Uh, so now he's, uh, he's definitely thought of differently right now than he was when this movie came out. So that NBA Jam, uh, not all that exists anymore. The screen that you saw the game being played on doesn't exist anymore. The buttons I was playing don't exist anymore the joysticks don't exist anymore i i totally gutted that whole arcade new screen new speakers new buttons new lighting in the background new new everything really yeah fun fun time it was my project for 2021 i said why have an arcade with three games when i could have 3000 if i want i recently made a post on facebook where i explained how to do that so if you want to look check it out you can do it yourself so Alyssa showing up in this movie makes it feel like it's two different movies Like, the movie has two halves to it, and I think it's refreshing. It's almost like, well, that first part was solid, and then when we get to her showing up, and you know, if you saw it already, you know the whole end chasing, and all. like, there's a lot that goes on once Alyssa shows up. You gotta remember, I die, Tiffany dies, Steve dies, Jody dies, Annie really marks the death of the first half of the movie. Once she's dead... That is really when the second half kicks off. Because she's dead, then you get the, the scene of them talking in the, in the truck during the movie, and then the next thing is the Halloween party. The Halloween party really makes it feel like it's a, it's a whole nother extension. It's like a whole nother movie. And it's, it's refreshing in that way. It's not in a bad way, I think. 
So my wife filmed the whole death of me with the head smashing into the tree stump thing. That's where I chop wood. I set the wood up on there like Rocky IV, and I, I chop it with an axe. On that thing, I smashed my head on, so that was cool. The deck that we, th- we threw Joe's body off of, and it was the dummy, because that's when we were really going for humor. When we threw the dummy off the deck, after he cuts the guy's throat on the deck, and he falls, and he throws him over the edge, that's when we were really going for total humor. I wanted it to look absolutely ridiculous. So instead of just leaving him on the deck, I said, let's throw the dummy off the deck, because that'd be funny. And me and Steve have a history of throwing dummies off of stuff. Like, back in, like, 2001 or maybe even four, um, I guess everybody coaxed me into throwing a dummy off his roof or something like that. And I don't know if he was videotaping it or, or what it was, but him and some other people were down at the bottom, and I was to throw this dummy off his roof, and uh, it actually, uh, obviously accidentally, hit like his leg or something hit Steve's mailbox. For some reason, their mailbox wasn't at the edge of the street. Like when the guy, the post guy just drives up and puts it in all the mail. Like for some reason, it was like in front of his his house or whatever. So it hits the mailbox and we're like, oh shit. Then it's like parents came home pretty quickly and we didn't know what to do. And we were like, uh, yeah, we like threw a, a dummy off the roof and it hit the mailbox. And it was like, well, who threw it? Again, I don't know how I get chosen as the one who who's willing to walk up on, on the roof. But uh, somehow I was chosen. So I'm the asshole, I guess. So, yeah, I think I was thrown out of his house for like two years after that. But, yeah, I felt bad. But what are you going to do? It was an accident. And we were young at the time. I don't, I don't know how to fix a mailbox back then, you know. Back then, he asked me to get you a three-quarter socket. I'd probably bring back a pipe wrench, you know? Like, I wasn't really handy at the time. But yeah, so now we have another dummy moment in our, in our stuff, in our history. So Steve's saying, uh, you know, we have senoritas and margaritas waiting for us. You know, you can't die. That was a line from uh, one of our favorite movies, Point Break. And uh, he knows I have a proclivity to uh, Spanish girls, so... We thought it would be perfect for me. You have senoritas waiting for you, you know? <laughs> you don't die. More chicks to date. So, uh, yeah, that was like a little inside nod to our own personal life. So, Steve's death was a, a task to shoot all of the Jason chasing Steve scenes and then piecing it together with all the Steve getting chased by Jason scenes because he's essentially chasing himself. So, we had to really, you know, think that through and <clears throat> make that all work. Um, when he's dying and the axe gets thrown into him, and again, because Jason can't walk up to him and kill him because they're the same person, so he has to throw something at Steve, so he throws an axe at him, and the reason I had part six sad music playing when Steve was dying is because, uh, the way he was dressed, it was very, it was like that light blue a lot all over his body, and that reminded me of the part six poster, you know, the famous cover for the movie, so... It just felt like part six music would be very fitting for that moment. So uh, Steve lays down for the last time. Alyssa gets up from her cat nap. Nine lives, cat, nap, cat nap. But yeah, Alyssa was top notch through this whole final girl chase. She photographed really well, just really beautifully. She knew how to emote every moment. She brought... Everything I banked on her to bring to the final chase, everything I hoped came to fruition. Actually, more than I hoped. I didn't think she'd be this good. 
And like I said, she even makes you care about her when you have no real reason to script-wise. You just can't take your eyes off her when she's on screen. She has the screen presence. She was just the right choice. And I get more into the whole ending of the movie in the video commentary, so listen for that. Alright, so I made a video on the Skeleton Crew Facebook page and said that if you want to submit any questions for this show, if you want to know anything about this movie that I might not come up with myself, then put it in there. So I want to thank a few people for participating in that. Neil Lemoy, why did Jerry survive? Well, Jerry was in the opening scene at the cemetery, and then he was at the Halloween party scooping out the pumpkin. That's when we didn't know it was a real movie. And, um, you know, we really liked the cemetery from part one and the way... We shot a few of those moments, and then, uh, so we couldn't cut him out of that. And then we liked the dance scene at the Halloween party and didn't want to cut him out. Like, I didn't want to cut him out anyway, but sure, from a movie maker standpoint, it seems like I should have, because I just have a guy in there, and Maribel's in there too, his wife. I have people in there that just don't show up anymore in the rest of the movie, so yeah, in that respect, it's weird, but it's kind of funny too. He's kind of like Ted from Friday too, who just survives and disappears and you know whatever but in this one there's not even an explanation for anything like virtually he's still in that house and so is Maribel while everyone's getting killed outside and while Alyssa's running around the house getting chased by Jason Jerry and Maribel maybe are passed out in a different bedroom somewhere we're getting it on somewhere I don't know for all we know that's what could be happening and then they wake up the next morning like where is everybody you know and then they see all the dead bodies around or whatever so, uh, yeah, maybe we'll start the next movie like that if we make another one. <laughs> and then they could be in that one. J- I'm gonna get this name wrong. Dude, I always get names wrong. Don't get mad. Uh, James Houston? Now, you'd think, why would I get it wrong? It's just spelled differently than the normal Houston, so... Hopefully I got it right, though. So, uh, he said that crow line in your death where you were like, uh... You, you know, you're not real. You can't be real. You know, you're dead. There ain't no coming back. That whole thing. And I talk about that in the video commentary. Yeah, that's definitely from The Crow. Um, well, I guess I still watched it around Halloween, and it was still fresh in my mind, and that scene really stuck out to me. And I think what happened was I played it a few times. I liked his acting in that scene. It was just so filled with so much dread and sorrow and panic and all that kind of... It had so much emotion that I said, um, I would like to have a scene like that in our movie. And... In a world where people just nod to things and homage things, I said, what the hell? Let me just put that exact thing in there. And, you know, obviously I didn't do as good a job as he did because I'm too self-conscious when I'm acting. You know, I got my wife sitting there videotaping me, Steve looking over me to the side, Jody somewhere looking at me. And I'm just like, uh, yeah, so, uh, ain't no coming back. I I thought I did a decent job of that, but probably could have done better if I wasn't so (laughs) self-conscious. Oh, but he said, um... Was it planned or off the cuff? Um, maybe, maybe slightly planned. I almost don't remember. I think I might have said Alex do crow bit here. I don't know. Something like that. I definitely don't think I just thought of it while I was laying there. For sure. How much of the movie did you edit down? Do you still have footage that didn't make it to the movie? If so, any plans to release it? No, uh, pretty much every single thing was that we shot is in the movie. Sure, scenes were edited down. Um, but nothing like, you'll never find, like, a deleted scene or something like that. The only deleted scene was, um, me and Tiffany shot a scene on the deck. Again, me filling in stuff, just because I'm there and I can't get everybody else there. So it was another scene of me 
filling in uh, why Tiffany wasn't going to the drive-in movie theater. So it was me saying, listen, we're all going to go to the drive-in. Do you want to go with us? And she says no or something like that. But again, I think for whatever reason, whatever conversation we had in that filler scene, it didn't fit something else down the road. I just can't remember what it was. So we ended up not using it. Nothing that interesting. My favorite Easter egg. My favorite Easter egg I talk about in the video commentary, and it's the statue I have, the mannequin of Jason Part 2. During the dance scene, when everyone's dancing in the Halloween party, as the camera pans around, you can see Jason Part 2, bag hat on and everything, looking out of the window in that room we're dancing in. He's just standing there, all six feet of him, standing there just looking out the window. And no one has ever noticed that. So that's probably my favorite little Easter egg. He said, knowing part two is my favorite, and I shot the scene with Sackhead Jason, why didn't I stick with Sackhead the whole movie instead of going with the hockey mask? I think I did the right decision in that if you're making a Jason movie, you should go with the hockey mask. However... If you're a huge Jason Part 2 fan, you damn well better represent that in your movie. So, if I didn't do a Sackhead scene, I better have done a flashback and put that in there. Otherwise, I think that would be sacrilegious to myself. If I do one Jason movie in my life and I don't put Sackhead in there, yeah, that's messed up. He said there's a ton of nods to the Halloween franchise throughout. Was the machete hand chop scene in the woods one of them? No, that was just I had a forearm in hand that I put on my Mrs. Voorhees shrine in my house. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, any port in the storm, really. We have no budget. And I just kind of looked around for things I could throw in the movie, honestly. I had an Alice Cooper. The, the reason I wore an Alice Cooper mask in the Halloween dance scene is because when we started to make this a movie, and it was going to be a, a short movie, the way I was going to die, it was supposed to be so... This movie was supposed to be filled with so much humor that my death was supposed to be Jason entering a room I'm in in my Alice Cooper mask, and he swipes at me with a machete, and I have an Alice Cooper head, life-size head, that he uses in his own concerts when he does the guillotine bit, and then you think they chopped his head off, and they pull the head out of the basket, and they hold it in front of everybody, um... I have the exact mold from his concerts. He actually made that and reproduced it for public consumption. And I have one. So I was going to have it where Jason swipes and the next scene is just my legs standing there. And that that head rolls down and rolls on the floor. And that's how I was going to die in this movie. So that's how into I was just using whatever was around. So that was not for Halloween homage. Looking up at the tree swirling in the video commentary, I do mention that, yeah, that's totally stolen from Rob Zombie's Halloween 1 when little Michael's beating the kid up with the tree branch. I think there's a scene similar to that, and when I fell down, when I shot the scene of me running around with one arm, and I laid down so that Jason could approach me and then kill me, I just looked up at the sky and I said, guys, give me the camera. I got a beautiful vision right here. And the way the trees were like in, you know, with the the fall colors and the sky was so beautifully blue and it just looked so nice, but it also looked terrifying as if, if you're like all out of sorts and you're looking up, it's just chaotic. 
it's like chaotic beauty. And that was definitely, I thought of Halloween as soon as I saw that in my vision. And I definitely put that in because of that movie. Hopefully I would have thought of it anyway, but we'll never know that. So no, you're not looking too much into it at all. It's funny you think you are and you're actually dead on. Is what's my favorite scene, and I can't say framing Jason in the window while running, which is my favorite, by the way. Yeah, that that probably is my favorite too, and that's obviously an homage to when Jason was running, and you could see and Ginny look through the window of the shack and saw him running at her. Um, that's what we were going for in that in this movie. But um, favorite scene besides that, I would say um. Probably as soon as Alyssa opens the door and screams when she sees Melissa on the floor with a knife in her head, pulling it out, throwing it at Jason, and then running into the kitchen, and then Jason turning the corner and her slamming that big block knife into his head. And then her running, and that was a, a crazy editing job I had to do. I just didn't film the proper stuff at the time, so I have like a, a lot of weird cuts right there, but it does kind of work. It's like weird, but it works. It was very difficult. Of course, I couldn't get anybody back to do it. Really, like, the whole final girl chase is a big favorite of mine. That I thought that came out as good as I'm capable of and with the resources I had and stuff like that. Definitely happy with that. <clears throat> and uh, he wants to say that his favorite line in this movie is, uh, I might look like Lon Chaney Jr., but I have Scottie Pippen on my team. I was standing... A foot from where I am right now when I said that line because I'm in this is the room that that room I was playing in the arcades and that's where I tape my podcasts yeah that was me just cramming in my favorite people I never thought I'd say Ted Danson in this movie though but I do say that in the drive-in and he's not one of my favorite people um, another little tidbit uh, just out of curiosity so we were gonna reshoot the the death of Jason um, maybe do a little more to it instead of just slamming that thing into his neck and he drops dead and all that. But I would say within one to two to three days of filming that scene, when Steve lands on the ground and his mask pops off, within two days, that backyard was covered in a foot of snow, maybe two feet of snow. There was a huge storm. So basically, all reshoots were out of the question. We even talked about it. Steve said, listen, I'll come there if you really want to. But I mean, I think it's fine. He was going to. And I think there was just something I wanted to do because we had a late start that day, which I'll get into in the video commentary, uh, about three and a half hours later than we thought we were going to start shooting that night. And by the time we were done with Jason dying and Jody was freezing and hated the whole thing in the shed and Alyssa was spent, I was tired I was cold, and we all, it just felt like the end. Nobody wanted to really do anymore. So we didn't do that big surprise jump out scare like everybody expected me to, especially with the music I put in there. I might have even wanted to do that when I asked Steve, you know, could we maybe redo that Jason ending thing? Just some parts of it or add to it. Maybe we would have kept all that because I do like it, but we might have added some more stuff. Yeah, we couldn't do anything, and then Christmas was coming, and so what we shot was whatever was in the can is what we had to work with. One of the downsides to the movie um, that I do wish I tried harder with, because the movie was going to be a joke, a 10-minute joke, goof movie, and it was more about the fun of the action rather than the special effects, I didn't try very hard when we cut Joe's throat on the deck and threw him over. Again, that was supposed to be for humor, so I didn't care at all that his throat definitely didn't look like we really cut his throat. 
But the one I do care about, we, we kind of knew it was going to be a more serious, f- real movie by the time we gouged Annie's eyes out. So I wish we either brought makeup to color her eyelids like a deep red, like eyeshadow, like deep red eyeshadow, and then had blood from it so it looked like her eyes were actually pulled out of her head. Like, it just... I wish we put more effort into the gore um, of some things now looking back. But, again, it doesn't matter. Um, I think Steve's gore came out really good. I think my gore came out good. Jason's came out good. Tiffany had none. That was an homage to the Vicky scene where it just looks like Jason's going to stab her against the wall. And obviously, it's exactly Vicky's scene from part two. And we thought of doing that, obviously, after we had the girl from part two in our movie. So we homaged her twice, Tiffany's kill and when we dragged Jody's feet down the stairs, which took endless takes to do that right. It was very hard to drag someone's feet down the stairs when the stairs are not that long. And the way we had to shoot it, the only way I could have shot it, we couldn't do what you would think would be easy. Trust me. It took forever to shoot her feet dragging down the stairs. So Annie's kill and Joe's kill and Melissa's kill were probably the three I didn't try very hard with the gore on. I wish I did, but that's just a nitpick. If I were to give an overall assessment of my own fan film that started off as a joke, shot with a cell phone, with friends, uh, and all that stuff. If I had to give my own assessment, I'd say the strong points were the photography, how the scenes were captured, the angles chosen, the heart put into it, the Friday the 13th background knowledge that all of us possessed. Everyone of the main central cast possessed that. Our enthusiasm, Our dedication, always getting together to do this. The score definitely put the movie over the top. The creativeness, having to work around obstacles. They always say that necessity is what gives birth to creative things. Am I happy with this? Sure, absolutely. This, like I said, was a joke. It was a total joke movie. And it turned out to be something that people can sit down and enjoy for a straight hour. It just turned out to be something that was paced really well, looked really nice. We shot it during a really good time of year. Steve looked great as Jason. Jody was totally invested in her role. Annie was great. Her first time out doing anything like this was so good and had... You could see that if she continues with this acting thing, she could be like a regular in like horror films. She just needs to keep going with it. Hopefully she gets those opportunities. Tiffany, my wife, was totally invested. She went so many extra miles. You wouldn't believe what she let me do to this house. It was Christmas time by the time we were filming all of Alyssa's stuff. When Alyssa slammed that knife into Jason's head and then ran off to the right, she was running into a Christmas tree. There was a Christmas tree in the room during the times when Jason was standing behind us and we all talked about what we're doing with the arcade or pool, when the three girls were talking about Melissa getting ready with her makeup, anything with Alyssa besides the dancing scene. Obviously, you can see there's no Christmas tree there when Steve and Jerry are carving the pumpkin because that was shot on the, the second day we were shooting. Two months later, we shot the whole big chase scene. And during that whole time, there was a Christmas tree we had to work around. 
There were Christmas lights on the banister of the room. I had to take down all the Christmas decorations during that last day of shooting and put all Halloween decorations back up, and she let us do that. She was so annoyed by all of it, and rightfully so. It was, And she was the most dedicated person. She went to such lengths to make sure everything got done. There was a point she wasn't totally on board, and then by the time we were doing the December stuff, she was completely on the team and one of the hardest workers I've ever seen. She did anything that was asked of her. I said, I need to fill this in. Can you come over here? Can you shoot this? Can you shoot that? I need me on the motorcycle. I need me doing this, me doing that, me in the backyard dreaming about Annie. I needed so many things, and she didn't refuse any of it. And she was a total team player once she got on board. This whole movie wouldn't have been possible without her. And in the beginning, we were oil and water on the whole thing. In the beginning, I don't think she had the right mindset. It was weird because I'm not sure she felt the same way about the process and doing it or anything that she did by the time we were in like December and we were filling in all these scenes and I think she needed to see the movie get edited along the way and as she saw how I put everything together, you know, a lot of the things she she disagreed with me on and it was like a head bumping thing and I think she just didn't see it the way I saw it and that's totally understandable like when I'm filming something I I understand how it's all going to come together it makes sense to me and it doesn't take much thought you don't have to spend an hour to think out every single thing you're doing you just kind of go yeah yeah that'll work that'll work that'll work that'll work that'll work and you just keep going and you keep you know focusing stay focused and you can see it, and you could see how when you edit it, this will work. No one else is going to see it that way, and her in particular. So I think once she saw it coming together, like one night, she actually said, I said, listen, I just I just put all this together. The first chase with Jason on the deer stand, and then Annie running into the thing, and then Jason, you see him running from the window, and all that stuff, and she says, it's just a dream, it's just a dream, all that. <clears throat> I think when she saw that scene, and then she also saw the Jason part two, she said, I am sorry, I will never question you again, you know what you're doing, I don't know why I even doubted it, tell me what you want to do next. And then, you know, I was like, I felt bad, I was like, well, no, I mean, you could just say, what if you have something to offer, and you think, you know, something, if if you have an idea, then definitely let me know. And she continued to, and we it was a lot more productive, and I think she made a lot of the scenes in the third act work, particularly all the ones where me and her were filling things in. She made a lot of that work. She came up with a lot of ideas, and it was just different than it was before she believed in the project. So that was really rewarding to see that, to see, okay, now she's totally on board, because I think everybody else, she our bigger... Jason fans than she is so I think they were like down for no matter what you know and they kind of just figured yeah maybe it will be good maybe not whatever this is fun to do but I think she needed to like she needed to be more of a believer <laughs> to be have the same investment but yeah um the the downsides um there were some shots that were not framed exactly how I'd like two or three of them going back I wish I didn't treat it as such a joke for some of the gore whatever but, yeah, overall, I'm happy with the movie. It is what it is. For what it is, yeah, totally happy. Turned out a lot better than I thought it would. 
And I think a lot of it was luck. We had we shot on a lot of very nice days. We had a lot of good lighting. And everybody had fun and did a good job. So that's Friday the 13th, Nine Lives. Hope you enjoyed. Tune in Friday for the video commentary. If you listen on this podcast app only, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to get this thing loaded on the podcast apps. So you're going to have to go to our YouTube channel. It's called Skeleton Crew Shows or The Skeleton Crew Shows. You could just type in Friday the 13th, Nine Lives. The same thing you watch the movie on, just go to that same channel. And that's where our video commentary is going to be. It's not going to be in the podcast app, I don't think. Not even the audio. I might not even waste my time with that. So, yeah. Thanks for listening. I know this was long. Thanks for listening. And uh, I'll see you Friday.